Hey, hey, welcome to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast. I am your host, Derek L. Calhoun. I hope and pray that you are subscribing to this podcast and making it your favorite drive time podcast. I pray that you're having a blessed week this week. This is the beginning of Black History Month. This month celebrates the legacy of people of color from around the world, especially those who participated in the diaspora. Today, as we celebrate that legacy, I want to celebrate family and the family unit. And the core of that family unit is the relationship between the husband and the wife. And as we are moving in through this postmodern era, my prayer is that husband and wives will begin to thrive in marriage. And guess what? I have a marriage expert who teaches married couples how to thrive in marriage. In fact, he's written a book, A Marriage That Thrives, Seven Keys to a Lifetime of Abundance. Kip Nation, I want you to welcome to this set, Verndon P. Woods, again, the author of A Marriage That Thrives, Seven Keys to a Lifetime of Abundance. Verdon, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Derek, and I'm honored to be a part of this amazing broadcast. I appreciate the opportunity to address your audience. I am a native of New Orleans, Louisiana, originally, and currently reside in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm the second oldest of nine children and married to my wife of 45 years, Vanessa, and we together have seven adult children, and I happen to be the grandfather of 19 and counting. And so obviously in our case, marriage and family is really in in my DNA. On a side note, I'm also an ordained pastor and a marketplace leader, and Above all, I'm a child of the Most High God. That's an impressive resume. I'm still floored, and I've known you for years now, but I'm still floored by the 19 grandchildren. I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. I have three grandchildren, and I'm barely uh, dealing with it. And I said 19. That That's a special anointing that you have to embrace that many grands and love them and continue to pour into their lives. It is definitely a, an honor and a privilege and something that something I guess I could say I'm anointed to do. It's not the type of thing that you just do naturally. So I have a supernatural enablement that allows me to embrace and minister to that many people in my in my legacy. Well, Vernon, thank you again for being on the show. I, I have a few questions for you today. I want you, if you're listening today, just to lean in and listen to the answers to these questions. I know that you will be blessed. Verdon, how does society and culture represent marriage today? Good question. And, um, you know, I would say in general that many people accept marriage in our current culture as a reasonable arrangement for men and women. But I think to a large extent, it's viewed more as a contractual agreement rather than a divine covenant. So as a general rule, it's embraced. But there are increasing trends where people are beginning to believe that 
marriage in the traditional sense is an outmoded construct at best and in some cases just an undesirable nuisance and I would say that that worldview tends to think that it needs to be replaced by a more progressive structure. That's correct and those progressive structures biblically and we get an outline we're just going to talk about the Bible. This is a, a Bible podcast. This is a Bible teaching podcast but biblically it does not line up with God's original intent for marriage, which was marriage between a husband and a wife. That a man shall leave his parents and cleave unto his wife. And that's the marriage that we are talking about today. And moving from that, what are some of the pitfalls that could lead to marriages ending in separation and divorce or failing to thrive? Sure. Uh, well, I say just in general, the pitfalls have to do with our self-centered nature as just part of human nature and yielding and succumbing to that leads to all kinds of negative outcomes. But I would say in terms of uh, how marriages viewed these social constructs, I kind of label them in three areas. One I call the ball and chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's the ball and chain is sort of looking at marriage as your life being now on lockdown, almost an imprisonment and a limitation of your movement, your ability, your freedoms. And obviously that is not biblical view, but it is a increasingly uh, held viewpoint and construct that results in often people choosing not to even enter into marriage. I learned uh, in some research I did that there is something called gamophobia. It is literally the fear of marriage, the fear of making a marriage commitment. And part of that has to do with this construct of believing that it places undue limitations on a person's ability to be themselves and to uh, accomplish the goals and the purposes that they have in their lives. And so that ball and chain often just really undermines the effectiveness of of marriage and either they go into marriage but still maintaining that mindset and so their first sign that there is some indication that their freedoms are limited they bolt they want to get out of the relationship so the ball and chain is one related to that is in that same study on gamophobia psychologists psychiatrists find that There are people who believe that they can't possibly be with the same person for the rest of their life without becoming extremely bored. So I call that one the bored room. It's that mindset that being forever with the same person, not having diverse sexual partners, not having diverse companions, somehow will lead to a lifetime of boredom. And then the the last one I, I call the hospice mentality. This whole idea that, yes, we are talking about making vows till death do us part. And I know of couples who have been married for 20, 30 years and and beyond, but their mindset is that they're just tolerating and medicating one another, uh, almost as though they have entered into a physical hospice facility. They're not looking to recover and have abundant life. They're just simply trying to keep each other comfortable until one of them dies. And uh, that's a a really cynical 
viewpoint of marriage, but I do believe it's, it is one of those constructs that people operate under, and they have devastating effects on victims who are, I could say, innocent victims or, or other parties that are impacted by these types of outlooks and constructs on marriage. I want to have some general conversation but a minute, but you just noted that there are victims or collateral damage that are affected by these particular marriage types. Can you elaborate just a little bit? Uh, absolutely. So you know, one of the obvious victims and the, the first would be if there are children, either biological or adopted or even in blended families, who are in these households where these types of disruptions occur, where, where there's separation and, and, and subsequent divorce, or even where there's not divorce, but where these, there are these, these marriages that are failing to thrive. They are the immediate onlookers, and they're also the immediate victims who receive the collateral damage of these types of marriages because as they're viewing them from the inside out, their view is, well, who wants this? Uh, and so it affects and infects their, their outlook on marriages they're growing up and ultimately leaving their households, their families of origin, they're, they're jaundiced, they're tainted in their perspective on marriage in many cases, and even in some cases just outright traumatized. And of course, go beyond those children in the household, there's, there are extended family members, and, and they're impacted because there's no such thing as, for example, ex-grandparents or ex-aunties or uncles. Mm -hmm. uh, all of these parties are still affected, even though the couple has not successfully made their marriage work. And so this, this results in strained relationships with other parties, whether it's uh, family members such as extended family or even friends, co-workers, fellow church members, and of course their, their business impacts. There's studies that show how uh, productivity on, in the workplace declines significantly as people are going through struggling marriages and ultimate divorce. And not so obviously, but very real, even the couple themselves, they are victims. There's collateral damage done to them because they have been torn apart from a covenant relationship and a piece of them goes with that spouse. Yeah, I've had a, uh, a friend of mine, a co-worker many years ago, and he described it as with this analogy. He said it's as if someone has ripped your heart out of your chest and taking it with them, and that you can never regain that or recover that. I've also counseled people down through the years who, to your point, had been in a divorce situation and they were literally terrified to get remarried. It took literally, and I'm not, you know, no hyperbole here, it took years to get them to come around full circle to say, okay, I can remarry again. I love this woman that I'm dating and I'm not going to extend it anymore past these 10 or 12 years that we've already been dating because of my fear of marriage. You are absolutely right. The children are impacted. The, the community around the family is impacted. It's just not a good situation all the way around when we look at divorce. I know when people say the vows that they say that there should be a real serious look at what you've said, what you've committed to. But even prior to that, 
there needs to be some serious marriage education. I believe a lot of people, Vernon, you would probably agree with me, are getting married and there's no counseling. There's no marriage education. They, they just decide that we love each other and they just jump into it. That's ill-advised. Most definitely. In fact, uh, for years at my prior church, designed and facilitated a 13-week course on uh, marriage education for that very reason, because of the number of couples that would come to me after the fact and seek uh, marriage counseling uh, because they were in some crisis status. And when I would further inquire to learn more about, well, uh, how, how much preparation did you have before you got into marriage? Uh, I would say in, in nine out of 10 cases, the answer was, you know, less than two or three sessions at most, if, and in many cases, none. And so that is where I determined to take a more uh, proactive, preventative approach to these crisis situations. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, it being a snare to the man who um, devours that which is holy and after vows to make inquiry. They get things out of order, making, uh, getting ensnared, getting entrapped in relationships because they didn't do their due diligence on the front end. And and then once they are in, in a vow, in a covenant vow relationship, then they decide to inquire as to, should I have done this? Well, it's after the fact. Yeah. And it's, it, it's out of order. And so I believe God is a God of order. He likes things done decently and in order. And that's something I really feel strong about, including even with my own seven adult children, who I personally was involved in their premarital counseling and preparation. And the same way with me. I have one daughter who's married. My wife and I were actively engaged in their marriage counseling as well. It's critically important that over the years that I pastored, we had an extensive, extensive marriage program. A matter of fact, there was extensive training for the trainer who was going to be coaching the folk through the marriage counseling or the marriage education. And then, at, like you said, there were several weeks of intense study. You're talking about communications. We're talking about family backgrounds. Even in the day that I got married, and I think a part of this deeper need is because of the lack of Christian anchoring in many of the lives of people that are getting married in, in this modern day. But even then, when I was coming along with my wife, after my pastor counseled us, we postponed the marriage because we weren't ready. And yeah. it's, it's okay to not be ready. And it is also okay to walk away from something that may prove to be disastrous years down the road. Forget about the invitations, and, I, and I'm sure you're the same way, Vernon. Don't even send out invitations. Don't make a marriage date. Don't, don't do any of those things. That's putting the cart before the horse. Sit down with a professional counselor or marriage educator and talk these things through before you go forward See if you're even compatible to be married before you send out all of the invitations. And now people say, well, I'm embarrassed. Well, you can right. be embarrassed now. Or you can be embarrassed later. <laughs> so. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I, I so believe in that point that, in fact, when we were doing uh, that 13-week class, 
uh, over about a four or five year span, I would say we easily covered about a hundred or more couples. And our while while we didn't have formal data on this, anecdotally I can tell you that approximately one third of those couples who went through that 13 week course at the end of that time frame uh, would say to one another, "Hey, you know, I'm not mad at you. I, I, I esteem you highly, but this is something we probably shouldn't be doing." based upon what they learned about themselves or their mate. About another third, sort of like you and your wife, came through the process and said, uh, we think we, we're, we're right for one another, but we have identified some issues that we need to spend more time working on before we make this covenant commitment. And so they delayed uh, their uh, marriages. And then about another third, for them, the process helped absolutely confirm we're on the right track. We are compatible. We, we, we can make this uh, a, a commitment and make it last a lifetime. And they went forward with additional one-on-one -on -one counseling with the intent of going directly into uh, a marital covenant. And those marriages have, have lasted long and strong, a vast majority of them. And so I'm absolutely, totally convinced that pre-marriage education is critical. And at one point, I, I had said, I'm not even going to coach couples in crises. I'm just going to focus only on premarital couples who haven't messed it up yet. But um, the Lord kind of changed my approach to that as he continued to expand my view that there were people who had needs broader than premarital standpoint. So that's how, in effect, I ultimately developed my whole Thrives framework. And that's a good framework. And a matter of fact, uh, for those who are listening, I'm on the opposite spectrum of Verna. My wife and I do strictly premarital counseling. That's where we have a niche. We stay in that anointing. And so when I get couples that are outside of that purview, Verndon Woods is the man that I refer them to. He's a great coach. He's a great father. He's a great husband. He's a great grandfather. He's an author. He's learned, as you can hear. He has been through some things. And I know that his teaching is going to be consistent with Scripture. And his teaching is verified because the Scripture is tried and true. And part of his work in our community is that he's taken the time to put together an epic book that helps marriages to thrive. The book, of course, is called a Marriage That Thrives, Seven Keys to a Lifetime of Abundance, it suggests that there are some biblical strategies and principles that can help people thrive in marriage rather than just survive in marriage. Vernon, can you briefly elaborate on those principles? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, the word thrives in the title of my book is actually an acronym that represents seven-part framework that is also based on biblical principles. And each of these seven parts, I'll walk through each of them briefly, they represent outcomes, meaning that there are activities and inputs that end up producing these outcomes in one's relationship. And so the first outcome, the T in Thrives, stands for trust. And trust is the foundation in any relationship, be it a marriage, a business venture, a church relationship, organization, a nonprofit, there must be trust. In friendships, trust is essential. When there is 
marriage that is based upon a sound foundation on the rock, in this case, of Jesus Christ and the biblical principles underpinning that, then there is confidence that when the rains come and the storms come and the, and the floods rise, uh, that house will stand. Trust is the outcome of healthy communication and a, a clear understanding of one another, the ability to, to manage how we listen, how we speak, how we manage our emotional responses to what we hear, what we say. All of that builds together to create trust, the ability to engage in intimate conversation with one another, not sexually intimate per se, but intimate in the sense of bearing one's heart, one's inner thoughts, feelings, ideas, but creating a safe place to do that in a relationship. So that's trust, the T in Thrives. The H stands for harmony. And once again, harmony is the outcome of effectively being able to manage differences that we have between one another. All of us come into marriages with a variety of differences, everything from gender differences to background, socioeconomic differences, uh, personality differences. There's so many ways that differences exist within a, a man and a woman. Well, so often, unfortunately, we allow those differences to divide us. But the concept of harmony says, just as in vocal music, we have different parts, tenor, alto, soprano, bass. Great music, rich, abundant sounds come when those differences are blended together to create a harmonious sound as opposed to clashing. And what makes that happen is when each person respects the, the differences that are there, stays in their lane, as it were, in the process, managing those differences creates this, this uh, richer, more robust sound we call harmony, which is also unity. And that's the outcome of being effective at managing uh, the, the differences that can create conflicts but don't have to. The R in the Thrive Framework stands for role clarity, and that's just the biblical basis. What is a husband? What is a wife? According to the Word of God. And it's, it's not prescribed roles per se, but it's attitudes of the heart. So it's the understanding of how together we can partner and collaborate, respecting one another's roles and responsibilities to create a household of faith, a strong unit that is vibrant and productive and fruitful. The I in the Thrive Framework stands for intimacy, and that's physical intimacy, sexual intimacy in that regard, but it's also emotional intimacy, it's spiritual intimacy. It's a combined, it's a, a holistic approach to the idea of closeness, of, of oneness that is formed in an intimate relationship. The V in the Thrive Framework stands for vitality. I like to call it the fun factor or the friendship factor, and that is that a marriage, in order to ensure our marriage does not stagnate, that remains life-giving and energetic, and especially in, in the long haul, in the latter years, when you get past raising children and, and you're in those stages of your life where it's easy to just kind of get into a, a humdrum routine, ensuring that you're keeping things active and, and engaged. And just as we have vital organs and vital signs in our physical bodies, there are vital signs that the Bible gives us to know whether we are experiencing vitality. And uh, 
The Bible refers to them as the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, meekness. All of these uh, nine core elements constitute what, as they're growing and flourishing in our lives, sustains us with a vital outlook on life. The E is the spiritual component. It stands for eternal outlook. It is the way in which we view our circumstances in life, recognizing that uh, the things that are seen are, are, are temporal, but the things that are unseen in the unseen world, uh, things such as faith and hope and love, these are not tangibly seen, but they are just as real as the tangible things that we can see. And having maintaining that outlook makes all the difference in a marriage that will thrive the eternal, the spiritual perspective, the God perspective, ensuring that that is shared within the couple. And last but not least is sustainability, the S. It's the confidence that we can have that based upon following these other biblical principles, embracing the eternal, that our marriage can go the distance, that we can have this hope that the joy that's in our marriage, that the, that the love that is there, it, it doesn't run out. It's, a, it's an abundance mindset rather than one that looks at scarcity as a limited supply. It's this unlimited, continual flow from the life-giving flow of the Word of God and the principles therein that gives a couple the, the confidence that we can go the distance and, and live a lifetime of abundance together. So that's in, in short. I know that's quite a mouthful, but that's what the book really addresses. It does a deep dive on each of those seven components of the Thrive's framework. That framework, again, Kip, is tried and true. Vernon has tested this, has coached many couples, and they are experiencing marriages that thrive. I recommend that you purchase this book. Vernon, as we close today, and I want to first thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for the impartation. I know that this is blessing some of the people who are listening. How do we get access to your coaching if we wanted you to coach us? or, or And how do we get access to the book? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, well, people can go on to our website. Very simple uh, website title. It's thrivingmarriage.us. Thrivingmarriage, all one phrase, dot us. And they can access our website. In that website, they will get access to a self-assessment that will is free and it will allow them to evaluate their marriage against those seven criteria contained within the Thrive's framework. They can also, on that same website, schedule a free 30-minute consultation to learn more about our private and group coaching programs. They can purchase the book by going online on Amazon. It's under the title, A Marriage That Thrives, just A Marriage That Thrives. It will show up uh, on their Amazon and um, soon we'll have it available on our website as well and possibly through other channels in the future. Vernon, before we close again, give us that website one more time very slowly. Yes, absolutely. It's www.thrivingmarriage.us, like U.S. us. Excellent. Do you have any closing remarks, anything you'd like to say as we close? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, once again, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the listening audience. And, and just a reminder that thriving marriage is not a perfect 
so I want people to understand that you can you can have an imperfect marriage because we're all imperfect people. So my wife and I have been married 45 years and counting now, and we recognize that there's still some areas that we need to continue to grow in and to tweak and to develop, and yet we, we do enjoy a thriving marriage because we have embraced these core biblical principles outlined in that framework, and we have the confidence not in each other per se, but in the inherent, absolutely confident Word of God that we know as long as we stand on those principles, we will continue to enjoy this abundant life in our marriage. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast. My prayer for you is that you take the time to look up this book, A Marriage That Thrive. Seven Keys to a Lifetime of Abundance can be found on Amazon. We thank God for Vernon P. Woods. You can look him up. I'm sure he's Googleable. Now go and influence the nations. God bless.